If you grew up in a dysfunctional home, if you've gone through some hard knocks in life, if you got to the point in life where you were in so much pain that you didn't see a way out of it, you're going to love my guest on Unbeatable today. Ron Breland has all of those terrible experiences and many more that he just gets totally real and completely vulnerable with on this episode of Unbeatable. But what I love about this guy's story is he is not afraid to share his deepest, greatest moments of failure and fear, but he's also turned all of those around. And now he's using those things in his past to help others too. So strap in and hang on for Ron Breland, my guest on this episode of Unbeatable. Hey, before we get into the interview for this episode, I want to invite you to go with me on the trip of a lifetime. And that is not an exaggeration. I've spent more than the last year building a tour of the Holy Land that never existed before. This is what we're calling the unbeatable adventure, where we're going to repel, we're going to climb cliffs, we're going to ride mountain bikes through the countryside, we're going to swim in the Dead Sea, we're going to climb trails, we're going to spend nights under the stars and spend days in luxury hotel rooms, we'll be in fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee. This is basically everything that you could want to do with action and adventure adventure in Israel, plus all of the world's great historical sites there. And the dates for this trip are March 17th through the 27th. I want to invite you to come along. We built this trip so no matter where you live in the world, all you need to do is buy plane tickets and show up in Israel on day one. And from there, we pay for and we take care of everything. Hey, if this epic tour sounds like something you're interested in, why don't you go over to Signature Tours and search for the unbeatable Holy Land Adventure with Jeff Struper. It starts March 17th and it runs until the 27th. I would love to see you there with me. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Ron, thank you for taking some time out of a brand new year in 2024 to be my guest on Unbeatable today. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's an honor to be here. Really been looking forward to it. Yeah, man, I started looking over your background and you and I have a ton of stuff in common. We're just going to go down memory lane for a lot of this episode today. Sound Let's good? Let's do it. Sure. Um, I always do this for guests that have served in the military or law enforcement. Man, I want to first, before we do anything else, tell you thank you for all that you've done for our country in the military. Thanks for your service to your community as a firefighter and, uh, you know, all that you continue to do. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the appreciate the support. It really means a lot. And, you know, you know that as well. And thank you for your service as well, Jeff. I can't thank you oh, enough. Man. 
Um, so you are a third generation firefighter. Um, tell me a little bit about um, life growing up with your, you know, the in, in a firefighter home before you end up in the military. Well, actually, I, I grew up in a very dysfunctional alcoholic home and uh, tossed around a lot. Um, but peppered throughout my childhood were these visits to the fire station where my grandfather was the fire chief. So, you know, of course, when the chief's grandson walks in, you get the red carpet treatment and uh, you get, you know, pretty much free reign at the station. And, uh, and that kind of, that's kind of where it bit. And then uh, it really, it, it just took from there. And it, it, I saw how much the love of service from these guys and, and the family element that they had, that, that was really appealing to me because it's something I didn't have. Yeah. Well, anybody who's watching this episode on YouTube can see behind you, all of the firefighter patches, all of the military stuff that you have on the wall. Obviously, man, you love the service to the country service to the community, or else you wouldn't have those kind of things on your wall behind you. I love them all. Um, God bless them all. Listen, man, a big part of your story is how severe the abuse was. There's lots of people listening that had a really rough childhood, but yours was pretty severe. Can you describe a little bit about what life was like with your stepdad, especially um, before you left home? Actually, I should say before he kind of kicked you out on the streets. Yeah, before I PCSed out of there, you could say. Uh... <laughs> before you... yeah. We, uh, we, uh. I was TDY homeless for a year, <laughs> but, uh, uh -huh. before that, there was, a, there was one incident that, um, that actually strikes the biblical chord with me. Now it didn't, it didn't then of course, cause I didn't have the knowledge I have now, but, um, there was one night that, uh, he had me standing basically at the position of attention in the kitchen and he would ask me a question over and over again. And I was telling the truth and I wouldn't deviate from my answer. And every time I said no, he slapped me in the face and he alternated cheeks until he slapped me about 50 times that night. Um, I couldn't even feel my face at the end of the night. Uh -huh. And it, it, <laughs> I, you know, it sounds a little tongue in cheek to say turning the other cheek. But at this point in my life, I can say that I've actually forgiven that man. And I pray for that man. Because as much pain as he was inflicting, I, I've gone through some things myself. I can't imagine the internal conflict and fire that he was going out under, that he was yeah. undergoing at the time. You know what I mean? And, and alcohol, of course, exacerbates everything. And it made me see that if it was possible to be this bad, it might just be possible to be this good. And I don't know what that looks like, but if I avoid the mistakes that I've seen, I mean, I'm bound to get it right 50% of the time. I mean, I was just going with the odds, um, but it was tough. It was a tough time. And, uh, you know, I think God had me there for a reason. Um, I really do. I'll never, I'll, I'll never deviate from that either. I believe everything we do is a divine appointment and, when you look at things through that lens, it really does change everything. Yeah, agreed.
a lot of guys and gals that have been through what you've been through, the hurt and the abuse, you know, and the torment at home or, you know, with a, a parent, they're going to be angry and hang on to hatred for a long time. Yes. And just hearing you say that you got to the point where you were able to forgive him, that's a really big step. I want to know what drove you to the military because more than a few of my buddies in the military, they got, they, they went to the military to get out of a uh, home where dad was highly volatile, very violent, a mean mm -hmm. drunk. Let's just use that language. And Absolutely. for them, the army was their way out. And those guys and gals became great warriors, but they also had a lot of mean inside them because of their upbringing. So what drove you, what brought you to the military recruiter's office? Well, you know, I had seen that family model through the, not so much the fire station, but through my dad, he was a Vietnam veteran. He's a Marine. Um, God forgive uh -huh. him, he's a Marine. Um, but he, uh, he would have his buddies over late into the night. And these guys would stay up telling stories and, you know, reminiscing and, a lot of drinking going on. And I remember sometimes as a kid, I'd wake up and they'd be stacked up on the floor, just like they were in the jungles of Vietnam 10 years prior to uh -huh. that. And when I saw that, it wasn't something strange to me. It was, that's blood. That's family right there. That's what love looks like right there. And, and it, it really struck that chord with me. And my dad went on to become a, a police officer as well, um, which really kind of irritated my grandfather. But, you know, being a fire chief. Sure. But, yeah, uh, fire chief, yep. <laughs> when you want to take off the old man, that's what you do. But, uh, but you know, I think everybody has these experiences for, for a reason. And it's to come out stronger on the other end, you know? Yeah. You said you had to learn how to turn the other cheek, literally, when your stepfather was abusing you. I'm saying lots of guys that gals that got beat, physically abused or emotionally right. abused when they were at home, they joined the military. And whether they know it or not, they just want to unleash that hatred on the enemy. Right. So they become pretty impressive warriors. But there's also something very dark and maybe very unhealthy inside them. Right. So I'm I'm just wondering, like, what was it that? Uh, I, well, I think you... the military. I think the military looks for that in, in in a lot of ways. I think they see a population of eligible males, and you know, who don't really seem to have a lot else going on for them. And I mean, look at me. I was homeless, and to me, the army was three hots in a cot. My first suit a family and 23 million brothers and sisters. So, I mean, really it was a win-win for me. Yeah. I love how you described it as family. That's very much what it was for me too. Like I didn't even know that's what it was until it became a deep right. and a very close family. And to this day, some of my friends in the military are closer to me than the people that are blood relation because right. of all we went through together. You've been through more than a few things in the military. I had no idea until I started researching a little bit about you, Ron, that you and I were in Somalia at the same time. Not only that, 
but there is no question there was more than a few and few times that I came to visit you over in Mogadishu at Sword Base <laughs> to do a logistics resupply. So let's talk about, you know, early time in the military leading up to and then go into Somalia. Describe that a little bit for us, will you? Well, I joined the military in uh, November of 90 on the eve of Desert Storm. And like a lot of young American males, I was I, I was not about to take another bully in my life on the international stage or in my face. Yeah. It wasn't going to happen. Saddam Hussein bully uh, around the country of Kuwait, right? It was really, it really got under my skin. And of course, every recruiter in the country was just like, come on, bring him in. Yeah. And right. my recruiter was a paratrooper and he hooked line and sinker just locked me in. And I, when I got to Fort Campbell, I got through training. I got to Fort Campbell. Uh, the DOD Fire Academy used to be at Chanute Air Force Base in Rantoul, Illinois, which is now closed down. Um, it's now at uh, in San Angelo, Texas, down there at Goodfellow Air Force Base, and it's it's the joint it's the joint school. Um, all the branches go there. Um, uh, it was not always like this. Uh, so that was something new to me too, going to a joint service academy. Uh, but then I got to Fort Campbell and I remember seeing this sign on the wall that said rendezvous with destiny. And Jeff, I, I gotta tell you, it punched me right in the heart. I was like, yeah, yes, rendezvous with destiny. I love I was, it. Yep. I was destined to be here. This is, this is what was supposed to happen. And I got to my unit. I found out we were a small six man team, um, in the firefighter world, uh, there are Tradoc firefighters and there's Forcecom firefighters. Yeah, and and let me guys. In for a second, I'll explain this to the listener. The guys that are back at U.S. bases, and then there are the guys that are in units that are going to deploy all over the world. That's the difference that he's he's talking about right now. Yes, sir. Well, I didn't realize it, but we were we were on the for we were on the Forcecom side. So our six man team was eligible. We were. We were able to take a fire engine, a Humvee, and a, a little ISU 90 container, stick it in a C5, wheels up in 18 hours and be gone, you know. And we would go, after you guys took an airfield, we're supposed to land and be able to yeah, set up shop right. so we can bring sure. the aircraft in. Yeah, right. So it's very much a hand-in-hand -hand operation here, but we're kind of waiting. Everything's contingent on you guys, you know, to get set, you know, give us the green light. Um we had one of our firefighters on the plane going to Panama um, before the 82nd got turned around. Uh -huh. I mean, yeah. they're, they're not playing around. They'll, they'll insert guys in very unique little scenarios. And the schoolhouse doesn't really deal with that stuff. They don't even tell you about that stuff most of the time. Um, because once you get out into the, you know, the working side of things um, and we hadn't gone anywhere for a while, we lost uh, to the general general Keene's desk. Uh, made it on the bird instead of my fire truck, so we didn't get to go to Desert Storm. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is crazy! Hey, Did you not? My desk kicked that fire engine off of the Get airplane. That big yellow truck off there. the plane, right? Yeah, because yeah. my well, my desk is a lot more important than putting out an aircraft fire on a flight line. I mean, what are you know? What's an aircraft cost? We'll just make more. Uh, <laughs> but then, so so my unit was a little disgruntled 
about that, you might say. And I'm like, well, I'm yeah. going to find, I'm going to find sure. a way. I'm going to get a tour. I'm going to find a way. So Somalia kicks up and I hear the scuttlebutt around battalion that they want drivers for some reason. They need drivers to volunteer, logistics run. You're going to feed these starving children. You've heard about your whole life from your mother and you're going to be the one to make a difference. Solid. I can drive a fire engine. I can drive a Humvee. Let's go. So I tell my sergeant at the fire station, there's only three of us on duty at the time. An E4, two E4s, me and another guy, and an E5. And he was in a brown recliner, kicked back watching TV. And I said, hey, Sarge, I'm going to call battalion and volunteer to go to Africa. He says, yeah, go ahead. Wrong answer with me. Yeah, he didn't really believe buy it, right? He didn't think it was going to happen. And that was the biggest E4 Mafia moment of my life because uh -huh. battalion, battalion patched me through to the Sergeant Major at home. Well, now the hackles on my neck are going up because this can't be good. Yeah, sure. So the Sergeant Major says, I'll call you in the morning. And the next morning came. And right as I'm about to get my butt chewed by the first sergeant, his phone rings, tells him, get Breland down to battalion. He's going to Africa. Done. And crisis wow. averted. And, and, and off to yeah. Africa we went. But I didn't go as a firefighter. I, I, you know, I was basically a generic soldier over there. Um, and there were 68 of us from Fort Campbell that nobody ever, nobody ever hears about. Um, Cause you hear about the range, you hear about 10th mountain. Um, but the, and it was, it was the two, two seventh GS company, a general supply company. I don't even know if they have those anymore um, out of Fort Campbell. And they stuck us at sword base. And uh, that's when I learned about, mortar fire and uh how fun indirect fire can be oh yeah <laughs> and for the first 30 days it was just the gunpowder in your nose you'd smell it and it would just burn and and it was just oh it was just rough you know and uh constantly you know the alarm would go off and code words if the rangers swoop in put your gear on kill anything that comes through the door and we're like good lord this is yeah. This is not feeding the starving children, you know, and we, we knew about a deed, you know, we'd heard there was bad yeah. guys out there and whatnot. And, uh, I knew a lot of stuff afterwards, um, after the mission, after I got home, I found out a lot of stuff from, uh, um, he used to be the Sergeant major, the one sixtieth. Um, my gosh, I can't remember his name. Sergeant major, uh, uh, his name was Bob. He was my, Former, he was my former father-in-law's next-door neighbor. We'll just call him Bob. How about yeah. that? Yeah. He, uh, he went to every single one of those memorial services. Yeah. After, after everybody got home. And I, I saw that. And that was one of the biggest impactful moments of leadership I ever saw in the Army. Yeah. Yeah. Because of his kindness. And his genuineness and the depth of his love for these men. And it just reinforced that for the rest of my career. Somalia was definitely a defining time. Sure. Um, let me kind of paint that picture for the listeners a little bit. Mogadishu is the capital city of Somalia. But by the time, nineteen late 1992, early 93, 
that there's United Nations missions going on in the country to, to hand out food to starving children. Just like Ron said, almost every mother in the world said, you need to eat your dinner because there are children starving in Africa. And there literally were children starving in Africa. Um, most of the United Nations set up a couple of bases around the city. Now, the city of Mogadishu is not very big. By world capital standards, it's extremely small, ex uh, highly densely populated, and incredibly violent. So you have pockets of United Nations forces and U.S. Uh, supply forces all over the capital city. I had the mission of going and getting supplies for the whole task force because my, my guys were on vehicles. So I drove around the city virtually every other day going to sword base, going to the United Nations compounds, going to other supply compounds. And I would walk in there with special operations equipment, carrying weapons that nobody's ever seen before. In fact, I remember going to sword base and somebody stopped me and said, uh, what is that that you're carrying, Sergeant? And I said, what do you mean? And they were like, you know, that weapon that you're carrying. I said, it's a shotgun, man. Have you never seen a shotgun before? And they're like, I didn't know that we gave shotguns to the military. I thought that those were just for hunters. Um, I was carrying a shotgun because I had some rubber pellet and beanbag rounds in there to, to thin the crowds out if they were coming our way. Anyway. Those are attitude adjusters. That's right. Yeah. I thought it was funny that uh, some of the equipment that we were carrying had never been seen before. But throughout the whole time that I was in Somalia, I watched those United Nations or U.S. bases all around the city come under fire and yours comes under fire. So describe what happened when you're at sword base and you get attacked. Well, like I said, for the first 30 days, you know, there's that there's that left seat, right seat ride with the the, the unit that's there and the the, in, the incoming unit. Um, and, you know, they're kind of explaining how things work. And uh, I was told I'd never leave the base. They're like, you're the extra guy. You're the fireman. You're never leaving. You're going to be right. You're going to be the talk uh, guy. You're going to go get coffee for people. Basically. Yeah, that's what you're going to do. Yeah. Well, Fort Campbell sent us over there with a butter bar and an E7. That was that was our leadership cast. Yeah. Um, wow. So it was pretty it was pretty it was pretty amazing. But I'll tell you what, to watch those guys grow as leaders because they had to, especially our LT. He had to. He had to grow fast. Um, and he did. And it was amazing. Um, but, you know, the indirect fire stuff didn't really. I, I want to say it was like, you know what? Hey, if it's your time, it's your time. We all say that. That's right. right? Yeah, um, sure. And if it's your and, and that's true. And if it, 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 it's absolutely true because God has a plan. If, if it's if it's now, it's now. But like being on guard, things like having elevated positions that were silhouetted both day and night, uh, not smart. Okay. Let's not do that. Um, or the, there was a truck explosion, um, that I guess the timer was set to go in. They were going to go, it was a honey truck. You know what yeah. those are? Um, mm -hmm. one of the, uh, indigenous trucks would come in to maintain our latrines and, I guess the timer was set wrong and they actually finished their run and got outside the camp and then it blew. Then it blew up. Then it blew up. So it really, it hit everything hit the fan, but not the right fan. 
a, literally a truckload of human waste from the porta potties <laughs> blows up. You can imagine what that smell and sight looked like. Um, thank God that that went off outside the camp. Yeah, when my when my wife blames me for after dinner activities, I'm like, you don't even know, okay? You yeah. don't, you have no right to complain here. But we uh, that one explosion though, it knocked me 12 feet, and I was. I'll never forget, I was saluting an officer with my rifle. And I got to the full position upright. And that's when I remember opening my eyes, still in the same position on my back. And I wasn't where I was standing when I when I was. And this captain, he comes up to me, he says, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, are you? I mean, I, I don't even know what's going on right now. And... I had gotten a TBI and nobody knew what that was back then. Uh, nobody was even nobody talking even about use that phrase. Right. Sure. Nobody was talking about PTS either. Cause it was only in the DSM for like five years at that point. So it hadn't really spread out to the community. And back then you didn't say if you had an issue of any kind, because that was a death sentence to your career. And this was only two years in the army when this happened and I never figured out what was going on. I couldn't figure out why I couldn't comprehend certain things, why certain gears were slipping relationships run afoul, just a marriage that circled the drain. Now to her credit, I did marry the first sergeant's daughter. Not, not the best move on my part, Jeff. Okay. That's where leadership could have come in real handy a little sooner. Yeah. <laughs> But again, God has a plan. And, uh, you know, God turned my rendezvous with destiny into a rendezvous with eternity. And he used my wife to introduce me to Jesus after all of this mess that I, I threw myself out in the world. And I said, okay, God, if you're real, show me. And I kept getting hit and I kept getting hit and I kept getting hit. But I didn't have any guidance. And we tell troops all the time that you don't know what you don't know until you know. Well, uh -huh. yep. you don't know what you're not taught. And if you didn't have that guidance, you know, I didn't, I had a broken home. I, my kids had a broken home. I'm still repairing damages from those years. But I have the hope that they'll be with me and Jesus for eternity one day. And that's bigger than anything here. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank God for Helen and her influence. And I'm using very literal language right now. Thank God for Helen yes. and her influence over you. Of course, you're going to be a little bit fractured emotionally growing up in a highly abusive home. And mm -hmm. then TBI, a traumatic brain injury after being blown 12 feet off, you know, off of your off of the ground in an explosion yeah, your brain's going to rattle around inside the skull and you're going to start to forget things. You're going to start to have some moments where uh, things are fuzzy. And a lot of guys and gals that have gone through that, they can't keep a solid relationship anymore because they're really not thinking straight and they make some very stupid decisions. Correct. This, for a lot of people today that kind of exposure those kind of incidents would have ended your career you do a lot more after that 
Let's fast forward because there's so much of your story that I, I just don't have time to cover. Let's fast forward to Kosovo a few years later, Ooh. and uh, you're over there serving in Kosovo. Um, and when you uh, have a chance to see a special forces team basically get blown up, and would you describe a little bit about your tour in Kosovo, but about how that special forces team incident impacted you? Kosovo, we got the mission. I was at Fort Bragg when we got the mission to go to Kosovo. Again, I was with another team. This is the Fighting 89th, uh, which is right. now, deact now deactivated. But the we were the Fighting 89th out of Fort Bragg, the only airborne firefighters in the Army. And I was the last airborne firefighter in the Army on jump status, actually. All right. So yeah. I have the side so the distinction of having that and 50 cents be worth a cup of coffee and maybe a board question. <laughs> but other than that... <laughs> <laughs> not much the fighting 89th i love it let's parachute those firefighters right into combat you know well that's where i got my call sign uh from the the cg over there he said well you guys are airborne firefighters and you're going to be the smoke jumper element so that's when i became smoke jumper seven and that was pretty cool uh but we were responding of course to the genocide in kosovo from milosevic uh putin had just taken power a year before um, and I chose my words carefully there, taking power. Um, mm -hmm. Milosevic was a pretty much a nasty henchman that committed genocide. And, you know, when you, I just want to say that when we hear the word genocide, we hear it thrown around so flippantly uh, throughout the media these days. And if I could, Jeff, I would, I would really caution anyone before they even use that word or any word really, uh, to think about it, because for those of us who have seen true genocide, it is, it is not something to be thrown around lightly. It is not to be spoken of or used as a political broadsword. It is nasty. It is horrible. And it, it, it's preventable. <laughs> so, um, but with that, we, uh, we responded to this team. We, we heard that there was an explosion. Uh, this guy had backed his vehicle in. And he had just missed, I guess, these two anti-tank stacked mines with uh -huh. his right tire. And when he pulled out in the morning, he pulled out to the right. And I had to choose two guys to go with me because there were six of us. And I chose my guys from Bragg because it was our mission. Uh, the Army wasn't even backfilling my team anymore. I had three guys out of six. So they backfilled out of Campbell, my old team. My idea, because they didn't know what to do, I said, "Well, I know where the, we can. I can find some firemen. You just need to yeah. cut them orders." And we were at Bragg, which has 18th Airborne Corps, so that was uh -huh. a very simple transaction. Um, unfortunately, it changed some lives that day um, by going over there. But I think for the better in a lot of ways, because we got to do a lot of good. We got to do. Uh, we got to work with local firefighters. Um, they have more right. of a military structure. Their, their head firefighters, like a general type yeah. cast for the country. And it's more of an admin position, but he and I got to talk a lot and we got to do some joint operations, which was, this was going to be our last mission. And I knew it. So I said, we're going out with a bang, fellas. We're doing everything we, we can possibly do. And I don't care if it's on the mission scope, we're doing it. And we did. And it was fantastic. And the guys performed beautifully and uh 
my grand my grandfather well did it didn't make it to to alive to see me uh, make fire chief but uh I, I i know he's looking down with a little bit of pride i hope saying uh because we we had three camps over two different countries and we thought it was going to be a logistical nightmare and it, and it was to a degree but it was a lot smoother because of the people we had yeah people you know make a difference they will make they a break and make the difference yeah sure all right, now let's fast forward a lot and go to the Triangle of Death, 2003-2004 in Ramadi. I spent a yeah. lot of time over there in that triangle myself. Uh, what were you doing Ooh. over there at that time? Well, I had I had reclassed. Now, by now, my career had taken a very serious detour because my TBI, and you can attest to this, I failed BNOC twice. Wow. This would have been an yeah. automatic career ender sure. to anybody. Yeah. Let me anybody. explain that to the audience. This is the yes, mid-level NCO uh, education course. You got to pass this. Your career, everything is riding on passing this. And it's yep. unheard of for somebody to fail it once and get a second shot, let alone to fail it twice. So, yeah, that's a really uh, career-altering moment. Right. So I had left, I had, I had to leave the fire service because I couldn't get promoted. Uh -huh. And uh, there are, I think at the time there were 77s, 43 E6s and maybe 60 or 75s and a bunch of Joes. And that's it. No E8s or 9s in the MOS, no officers. So it's a very, very unique MOS that way, but it's very small. I used to tell my SF buddies, we're more special than special forces. And you know, they, sure they love <laughs> they, to hear they, that from you. Yeah, they do. They do. While they're out stacking countries, you know, but uh, it was really cool because in in the Sunni Triangle, um, I had reclassed them to NBC, uh, nuclear, biological, chemical, or if you're a soldier, nobody cares uh, because <laughs> nobody cares until it matters, right? That's right. Until they send, until they set one off, and then everybody's like, "Man, I wish I would have paid attention during this training." Right. I'm like, I can't get my suit on fast enough. But, but then they do, and it was a wise move actually, because I'd spoken to Helen about it, and my my strong point in the fire service, I specialized in hazmat. So I was I was already into wearing the moon suits and doing all that stuff, and I was teaching some of it. So I reclassed to NBC, and it was a very natural fit in a post 9-11 world. And it set me up for when I did get medically retired to transition into a civilian career into emergency management, which I didn't see at the time, of course, but, you know, back to Iraq, I was with a decon platoon. And we had a, uh, there's four areas of NBC, recon, decon, smoke, and flame. Um, they still set fires with, you know, JP-8 and MOGAS and all that stuff. And they still have the smoke units to create, you know, concealment. Um, they do some really cool stuff nowadays. It's now called Seaburn, Chem Bio Rad, Nuke Explosive. Um, but because they've really stepped it up a notch, especially after you know, after 9-11. Um, but it really got me into teaching because they say 
those who can do and those who can't teach. So uh, I said, well, you know, that's there's a lot of truth to that. And I got a lot up here that I can't use anymore. I may as well spread the wealth. Can't take it with me. And I did not find my faith until after my third combat tour. Jeff, I was rolling the dice like no one I can. I can't even imagine. I don't even know yeah, anybody yeah. that took the chances I took. Uh, I thought I was the captain of my own ship. And guess what? Every time I drove it, it ran aground. You crashed it. Yeah. Yep. A- amen. Every time. <laughs> Plenty of people listening that can resonate with that. They're saying, yep, I've been there and still there right now myself. Sure. Listen, man, you're in all of the hot spots in Somalia, basically the only combat action going on in 93. You're in Bosnia and Kosovo, right in the thick of it, you know, in 96, 97. You're in the middle of the Sunni triangle as violent and as dangerous. And I'm using hot spots now as a, you know, a play on words. You're right. in all of the hot spots as a firefighter and as a, you know, a uh, chemical, biological, nuclear uh, NCO in the army for a long time. And you get a lot of enemy fire. You get a lot of, you know, tossed around by the concussions that went off around you. And not just TBI, but let's just get real for a little bit about PTS, um, what it is and how it impacted you, how it impacts others. And why when you and i were new in the military this was first of all the phrase didn't exist but even when it did exist nobody wanted to use it nobody wanted to talk about it because of how detrimental it was to your future in the military so it was the stigma yeah yeah why don't you just talk us through this i i think back back in those days and i always feel like i'm turning into my dad when i say things like that jeff um, but back in those days when you and I were young, Joes, um, it, it was a different military then. It really was. And I, you know, I don't say that as the aging bet. I say that because it's true. Um, there were certain things you didn't talk about because that would draw attention, negative attention to your career. And it was a career ender. It was the kiss of death. It if really you had was. to go see, yeah, it sure see was. the shrink, because then there was yeah. the scuttlebutt and the talk. And a lot of it was just pride. It was just yeah, fear of the unknown. In some of the circles I ran into, you were putting your security clearance at risk if you had to go sit down yep. and talk with a psychiatrist. And so, man, people just avoided it like the bubonic plague, but it didn't make it non-existent. It didn't mean that it wasn't no. there. You just didn't talk about it. Sorry, go ahead. Well, a lot of guys I know would pacify it with alcohol, drugs, gambling, women, you name it, all the vices. Um, I didn't choose any of those. Mine was the worst of all the vices. Mine was the one that got Satan himself kicked out of heaven. Mine was pride. Pride. Absolutely. And I died on that pride hill. I don't know how many times. And God brought me back and said, how many times you want to hit your head against this wall, Ron? I mean, you know, you can do it again. I'm going to love you again. But you really don't have to. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it 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 brought me to a place where I became suicidal. Yeah. And I locked myself in a room for three days. 
and my daughter was on one side of a door. My wife was on the outside of this garage door and they did not leave me for three days, Jeff. Wow. And I had a pistol in my mouth. Yeah, I was ready. I had already made that decision. So uh -huh. and for people who don't understand it, when you make that decision, everything else is now behind you. You're not thinking about the people you love. You're not thinking about family. Right. It's all it's all fog. It's you're not thinking about any of that. And I realized in about I had like this revelation that in about three seconds, I'm going to meet my maker and I'm going to have to justify how with the incredible loving infrastructure of a family he's given me and my wife and my five wonderful children and my five beautiful grandbabies and 23 million brothers and sisters, how with all of this and everything he's got me through the gratitude that I would not be showing by this, just, just the, the sheer arrogance of it. Not even I could sell myself on my pride at that level. And I shot my pride dead where it stood because something had to die that day and it was going to be my pride. And it's the best decision I ever made. Wow. This is, you're blowing my mind right now, Ron. This is fascinating. Uh, I was just thinking when you were talking, if you want to know what real love looks like, it's a daughter that's on one door and a wife that's on the other door, and they're not leaving you for three days while you're going through a really dark, maybe one of the darkest moments of your life. And instead of thinking about themselves, they're thinking about you. But very few guys or gals that are at, at this point, when you got the pistol in your mouth, you basically settled in your mind what you're going to do next. You're there. Very few people ever turn back from that moment. Some do. Right. Very, very few do. And the few that turn back from that moment, most of them turn back because they're scared. So as you're talking, I'm, I'm fascinated now about why you're thinking through taking your own life this way and, and how selfish it would be. Um, in spite of everything that you've been given to pull the trigger when it's most people that are going through that kind of pain, all that they want to do is make the pain stop and pulling the trigger. Although it is a, you can't come back from this incident. It's the only thing that they can come rationalize. That's going to make the pain stop. It's right. Never right. But you can understand right. why they get to that point. They get into In a, pain case, into a corner, you're yeah. painted into a corner and it's a dark corner and there's, it's so dark, you can't see any way out. Man, we're going to camp here, Ron, because there are some yes, people sir. who are in a really dark place right now. They're listening to this episode. And to be honest, I don't even know who they are, but there are some that are driving. They're sitting there listening to this or watching this, and they're saying, I'm really close to doing the same thing. So, Ron, I need you to help them understand how one of two things we're going to die today. Either I'm going to actually pull the trigger or something inside of me that makes me want to pull the trigger is going to have to die. I can't, both of these things can't uh, survive. So they can't can you, exist in the same place. No. Yeah. Can, can you give us a little bit more? I need a little bit more detail from you now, just for that person that's in a very similar place. Jeff, I had a 357 in my mouth. I had my thumb on the trigger. It was tickling the back of my throat. It was real you know the smell of metal from going to the range and being close mm -hmm. you know the smell of steel and it was just that 
that familial familiarity that hit me like a brick. And it reminded me of days on the range, which was actually a better time than where I was currently at. And ironically, I had a weapon in my hand then too, but I wasn't thinking like this. Yeah. It was um, the right direction. Instead yeah. Of that <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and I, and I and I don't see any of this to make light of it, at all, not in the slightest, because for the person who's listening, it's even remotely thinking about this. I I I, I can't tell you how not the right decision this is. I can't tell you how much you are loved, how much I love you. And I don't even know you, but I do know you because I know where you're at, and I've been where you've been, mm-hmm. and I felt what mm-hmm. you felt. Okay. And I'm telling you now that there is one, one way out of all of this that will give you a peace that defies understanding. The pain that defies understanding can only be overcome by a light that shines through all that darkness and defies all of that understanding. And it's found, it, 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 it's, it's found right here, Jeff. It's found right here. I used to say all the time when I was younger that, was there like a manual that I didn't get or something like, like when I was homeless, like did all the other kids get this when they grew up? And yeah, there is a manual for raising kids. It's right here. There's a manual for marriage. It's right here. That's right. There's a manual for leadership. It's right here. And I'm, I'm telling you, and it's, I was afraid that if I picked up that book, I was going to be accountable for everything that was inside of it. And guess what? Wow. I already was. I already wow. was yeah. picking up that book was the heaviest lift I ever made in my life more than any day in the gym, Jeff. Wow. Yeah. Ron is describing somebody who knows what that pain feels like. Cause he's in the garden, Jesus, before he gets ready to sacrifice his life, literally to give himself over to his enemies and freely give his life up. He's wrestling with his own death. And according to the Bible, it is so agonizing for him that he is sweating like drops of blood because of the pain and the agony that he's going through. If you want to know, does he know what it feels like? He knows it to the uh, infinite degree to the molecule he knows absolutely so and uh, i'll tell you what jeff it, it went in if somebody's it, thinking about it the best thing you can do is not be alone you have to reach yeah. out because people right. i promise you people will reach back they That's will exactly right. they, yeah they, if i, I told myself I'm hurting i'm not worthy of it god doesn't love me I've out God's love. Guess what? Can't happen. Can't happen. You know, and I believe those lies too. I believe them for the longest time. Um, I used to be ashamed. Oh, I found my faith in my forties. Oh, what a dirt bag. I can't believe I screwed up so much. Guess what? That's God's plan. There's no, there's now, no bad time. Yeah. There's no bad time. No, never. Uh, Ron is right. If you're there right now, you reach out to one or two people and tell them how serious this is. And I assure you, somebody is going to step up and say, all right, let me help you get some, let me, let me help you find the help you need. 
um, if you are just that open. The problem is that guys or gals that get to the point that Ron got to, they shut themselves off to everybody in the world. And although there are people that want to help, they can't help. They either don't know, you haven't let them know, or you push them away when they try to help. And if you will reach out, people will show up and they will help out, but you've got to let your guard down. So Ron, I'm going back to this statement that you made. Your pride had to die that day. How did your pride die that day? What did it look like for your pride to finally die that day that you had this 357 in the mouth? Well, I had this daddy-daughter project that we used to do. We used to make these bracelets out of paracord. And I'm sure you've seen them. And we, oh, yeah. we, make, we make very custom pieces. And we've we've now we use it as a part of our ministry. But back then it was a daddy daughter thing. We're like we're making a little extra cash for the for our daughter. It's not a it's not really a business or anything. I turned it into that. I drove it into the ground. Made my daughter hate it. <laughs> Completely ruined the experience. Right? I'm like, yeah. here, like look at this. Good, like any good paratrooper firefighter would. That's Take right. Everything I, to the extreme. Sure. Look at this shiny thing here. Now I'm going to set it on fire for you. You know, that's exactly what happened. And I went and had my my near suicide experience. And I, I spent three years off of social media. Jeff, people thought I was dead. They, some of them, I still get calls like, hey, man, I thought you, I thought you checked out like 10 years ago. I'm like, nope, still here. Sorry to disappoint. Mm. But... You know, I'm still kicking, but uh, I went out into that shop after I came out of that garage, after dinner that night with the family, a very quiet dinner, <laughs> everybody was like, let's just see how this goes, because it's a pretty extreme day in the house, you know, and I just said, I love you all, I'm going to excuse myself for a bit, I'm going to go out in the shop and I just need some time with God. And I said, I have spent a decade doing this. I have spent more money than I should have, more time away from my family than I should have. God, I've burned this thing into the ground and crashed it like no other. If you don't ever want me to tie another knot again, my carpal tunnel and my partially paralyzed right arm will be more uh -huh. than appreciative. That's not what happened. I said, God, if you do want me to do it, I'm going to do it all for you. You will be in every piece of this. Every piece will be a sermon for one. And I will spend the rest of my days trying to reach people for you. And instantly, I started getting inspired. Um, I'm I, do a little bit, you know, some people have called me a military artist. I don't know. Some people call me the bracelet guy. Just don't call me late for supper. Okay. That's all, all, I, right. that's all I care about. Um, but like this one here, Jeff, for example, this one here is actually for you, sir. This what? has, four, we have right. never done a live search and recognition mission before. And this is what we do. We search and recognize people who have, done work for the veteran and first responder community on active service and then have gone further to serve their communities. And this includes wow. you. The yeah. four strands 
the four colors of the Ranger Regiment insignia. Uh -huh. The four strands also represent the four books of the gospel. Uh -huh. Now, this this book this braid is called the Armor of God braid because of the four strands, right? Now it's really tight, and you'll see why. And it's got the Ranger skull on there. But what what it does is it's a reminder. So if it's on your gear shift or your wrist or your nightstand, it's a reminder that hey, you know what? Some kooky guy, paratrooping firefighter out in Arizona loves me for some reason. Yeah, and he's thinking about me. And now what I've done is I've created a connection, whether I've ever met them in person or not. Right. Yeah. And God puts a conduit in between us to where you can't say I didn't reach out to you. So if I hear that you tried to do something, I'm going to have some words for you because All right. it's sure. personal now. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. and I'm Definitely. not, and I don't shy away from that, you know? And yeah. because you can't, because lives are too important yeah. to, to mess around with. And yeah. to date, we've made over 20,300 pieces so far, all by hand, all one of a kind, um, because every one is a sermon for one. And I haven't met half these people, Jeff, but they know God loves them. At least they've been told, um, you know. I love this language. Every 20,300 individual bracelets and every one of them are unique because you're making them for one person and to make a difference. You're already answering the next question I was going to ask you, Ron. Like you took a very dark, very ugly moment of your life. And not only did you get past it, but you are now using it to take care of other people would you describe what you're doing with ministry outreach, uh, military ministry outreach, or military outreach ministry and sure. the war warfighter ranch? Well, warfighter ranch actually came to my wife. Um, God gave that to my wife one night, and about two thirty in the morning, she woke me up and said, "Go get me a notebook." And I'm <laughs> okay. like, "What? What? Okay, totally All right. random at two thirty yeah. in the morning." I mean, you know, I wasn't, you know, sleeping or anything, but okay, whatever. Sure. And she proceeded to go for the next five, six hours writing out detailed, like what Warfighter Ranch is going to look like. And we obviously don't have it yet, but when, when God gives us the, the property, the ranch, we're going to bring, we're going to bring Warfighters in for, for a month. So you can call it residence, whatever, but don't call it, uh, uh, a retreat because it certainly isn't right. that there's, there's yeah, too many band-aid retreat right there's too many band-aid programs out there that are you know make you feel good for a weekend you go home and nothing's been achieved that's not what we want to do we want to bring the veterans in for three weeks and show them the biblical model of manhood and what that looks like because most of them that i've talked to have never been taught jeff i wasn't taught so we're going to go through, you know, the Ephesians five man, and then we're going to, and Helen simultaneously is going to be working with her team about with the spouses about what a Proverbs 31 woman looks like. And then when you get into that marriage, we're going to bring the family in for the final week and introduce them to the new biblical husband and wife. Yeah. And this, because the divorce rate with, with 
the combat oh, veteran community is 80% or charts. more. It's crazy. Yeah, it's off the charts. And yeah. if any other community had that, they would be jumping through the roof to fix it. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help that and bring veterans to Christ and, and, and help marriages. You know, they're kids too. You really have demonstrated what it looks like to go from turn the other cheek to helping guys and gals get healthy that have been really beat up by life or by war. Um, how much land do you need in order to start Warfighter Ranch? Like to start with, how much would you need? Well, ideal. Okay, if I was president and had my way, Helen's looking at about 40 acres um, because what what she what we're looking at is it needs to be far enough away to where we're not on you know the incoming path of an airport or something right. like yeah we, we want to have it to where when you're out there you don't know that there's a city 10 miles away because you're out here to focus and by the way jeff the whole 30 days there's no electronics there's no media there's no nothing there's you me and jesus that's it's a 30 it. day detox from, you know, all of the distractions of life. Right. And when your family has that as well, because the family has to agree in advance to be a part of this, because I mean, you're only investing in the rest of your life. That's all. And, you know, and uh, this was Helen's answered prayer because she saw me go to, weekend retreat after daily conference to God knows whatever. And I'd come back on this camp high and you know how it is. You come back and you're like, Hey, I learned all this stuff. And they're like, that's great. You're a jerk on Friday. <laughs> you know, what else you got for me? And right. that's real though. That's reality. And, sure. and a lot of guys that don't want to talk about that, but you know, you, uh, you know, guys, you may, you may be part of the problem. Hate to tell you, you know, right. right. <laughs> I ask you about military outreach ministry, about Warfighter um, Ranch, because I want to use this to wrap the episode up. Um, I want I'm going to invite somebody who's listening right now who has 40 acres of land and be, would be willing to donate it. Um, you now work the, the you have a 501c3 already. Is that right? Yes, we do. Yeah. So if you're listening to this episode and you have 40 acres of land and you'd be willing to donate it for a tax write-off, I want you to reach out to us. I'm going to get them in touch with you, Ron. And who knows, maybe somebody's listening to this episode right now that says, I believe in what you're trying to do and I'll give you the 40 acres of land to do it with. Um, Ron, people are, hopefully many of them are inspired. I hope that one or two people that were literally at the brink of taking in their own life their life was changed and was saved today because of this episode. I pray, Jeff. But for a lot of people, maybe they want to know more. So how do they find out more about you? Well, they can find us at warfighterranch.org, which is our website. And we're still working on the website a little. I'm, my, my web skills are not, that's not my strong sure. suit, Jeff. Yeah, you and me both, yep. You give, me, give me a rifle and we'll go to work. But, you know, you put right. me in front of the computer and I'm 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 handicapped pretty much. Right. Um, but you can find us at Warfighter Ranch and Isaiah 6-8 Actual, Isaiah number 6, number 8 Actual on all platforms. And our YouTube channel has over 800 family-friendly videos. My grandbabies can watch them. All sorts of topics. 
um, for the veteran and first responder community. All right. Yeah. Um, hey, we're going to put links to all of those things that you just heard Ron talk about. Uh, so if you're driving right now, you can always just check out the notes to this and see the links to it. Ron, thank you for being so real on this episode. Thanks for being willing to go into those hard moments at home growing up or in combat or in the room with the door locked and a pistol in your mouth. And man, I am proud to see about see the way that you're serving veterans and their families now. Thanks for being on this show with me. Thank you so much, Jeff. God bless you, brother. Yeah, blessings to you, man. I really hope that somebody was listening to this episode that is at the low point in life. And maybe you're right now where Ron was when he was locked in the room and not sure that he wanted to see tomorrow. I hope this was the episode that causes you to reach out and find somebody that's willing to help. See, the truth is, if you're going to be unbeatable, you will unfortunately go through some miserable, some incredibly painful things in life like Ron did. But if you're actually going to be unbeatable, you will find a way to reach out and to let others come around you that will help you get through these hard times. I hope you heard something today that gave you the hope to hang on for one more day. Ron, thank you for being so open, so honest with us. And to the folks that are regularly watching this thing on YouTube or subscribing to our podcast on your favorite podcast channel, thank you for staying connected. If you're not already a subscriber, why don't you go ahead and hit subscribe however you watch or listen to the Unbeatable podcast. But I also want to say thanks to the people that stay connected with us all week long not just on one weekly episode, but I'm talking about the folks that are connected on social media. If you're looking for us out there, just simply search for at Unbeatable Podcast. I wanna say thanks for the amazing fans, like our fan of the week this week, Brian Toth. Brian, we think you're awesome. We think you're so awesome. We want everybody else to know how awesome you are. That's why we've made you the fan of the week this week. Hey guys, if you're really, really struggling and you're not sure how to handle what you're going through, you have no idea how you're gonna make it through 2024, I developed this little motivational video. I did it for people going through the most difficult training in the military, people that are going through some of the most difficult circumstances in life. And if you want that video, I'll send you the link totally free. All you have to do is just join the Unbeatable Army. It is a completely free list where we'll send you content directly to your inbox each week. Go over to unbeatablearmy.com, join the list, and we'll send you that video for free. And I hope to see you right back here when I bring another amazing guest to you next week. God bless. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable.